News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The jury is deliberating at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the murder trial up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We heard from the assistant DA earlier. We heard from, uh, well, one of the assistant DAs, the fellow by the name of Thomas Binger. We heard also from Mark Richards, one of the defense attorneys. He made his closing arguments yesterday. And then, as is always the case, prosecution gets another closing argument. So I don't know why this is the case. I'm sure there is some reason for it. I've never known the reason for it, but... The state gets to make its closing argument, then the defense gets to put on its closing argument, and then the state gets to come back for like a little bit of a rebuttal. And that's it. And I don't know why, but the state always gets sort of two bites at that apple. But Binger did not... Oh, by the way, there is this development. Um, Headline, Kyle Rittenhouse asked to step outside in order to defend the courthouse while the verdict is being read in his case. Oh, I'm kidding. That's the Babylon Bee headline. It's it's just a joke. Although probably more truth to that than uh, than not. So the assistant district attorney James Kraus, he made the second the the, the rebuttal closing argument, the second closing argument on behalf of the state, and he said that Kyle Rittenhouse tried to use his gun to intimidate people so that they won't engage in what he called minor property damage. His words. He's a chaos tourist. He was there to see what was going on, act important, be a big deal. And then the moment a little bit of that chaos comes comes back at him, he cowardly shoots a man instead of fighting back. You put yourself in this situation, you know it's going to be out of hand. It gets a little out of hand. Someone is chasing me, and you have to shoot him. That is not privileged. That is not reasonable. And that is not what any reasonable person in the defendant's shoes would have done. All right, so let me just, I want to be clear here. You've got a scenario where there is a complete and utter breakdown of the social order. There is There are no more laws being enforced, and people are running around engaging in illegal activity. And... There isn't any law enforcement present to prohibit or to inhibit any of these unlawful acts. And so you have some citizens who are like, well, law enforcement's not going to protect our community. We will. They then go to protect the community. And simply by doing that, that makes everything afterwards non-defense. Is that my is that the correct argument that you're making? According to this DA that you went there as a, quote, chaos tourist. You notice also that they want to minimize any uh, any bit of help or aid that Rittenhouse provided, which he did, by the way. Like they said, he was a fraud. He wasn't a real medic. But he did actually help a couple people. And, oh, remember, there was the picture that, uh, that were, uh, the pictures that were taken of him scrubbing the graffiti. Remember trying to help uh, clean up the city? And, like, the, D, or the, the defense attorney made a point, like, oh, was that, like, part of his the plans for his alibi like he was he was constructing all of this the earl, earlier in the day cuz he knew he was going to go out and shoot a bunch of people it's laughable it's laughable they're trying to make the argument that simply possessing the firearm was provocation that's their argument so cuz i was watching people's reaction to this yesterday and a lot of the second amendment 
uh, activists, the pro-Second Amendment people, they kind of got the sense that this was an anti-Second Amendment argument that was being made. And look, there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for why it sounded like that. It's because that's what it was. That's what it was. The, The point here is that you don't get to go and defend your city if we say you can't defend it. If we want the city to burn for whatever reason we want the city to burn, shut up, stay home, let it burn. That's the point. No, you don't get to go and defend your property. And by the way, this whole idea like, oh, well, you know, lives are more important than property. That's what they kept saying, too. It's kind of an homage to the all lives matter. But you can't say all lives matter because that's racist. But lives are more important than property, more valuable than property. And that's true, by the way. I'm not arguing that a person's life is less valuable than their property. I'm not saying that. I am saying that property represents a portion of someone's life. Yeah. Just like money does. Because you're trading your time for it. And what is your time? Your time is a chunk of your life that you have traded off for a, you know, a consistent standard unit of currency that you can then parlay into something else. Generally speaking, property or services, but generally speaking, you're going to use that money that you traded a chunk of your life for, you're going to use the money to pay for some property. So in a sense, property is a portion of your life. And this discounting of its value, just because it's not worth more than all of your future life. See, that's the thing. It's like when you say like a life is more valuable, well, you're talking about the future of someone's life, right? All of the things that they could do if they get to continue living. That's the comparison. And so they're setting up this false choice that you have to pick. That you've got to pick, well, obviously their life is more important, so therefore Kyle Rittenhouse shouldn't have been been able to defend property. Right, but if the people are attacking the property, they're making the decision that their lives are not worth more than that property. They're placing a higher value on that property. Not you. Not you defending it. Because you're simply standing there just like the, uh, what would they call them, the, the, the uh, I'm trying to remember, the rooftop Koreans, right, from the L.A. riots in the 80s. Am I dating myself, right? 80, no, 90s? When was that? Oh, my goodness. When were the, when, when were the Rodney King riots in L.A.? Producer Ryan. Early 90s. Early 90s? 93. 93? No. Yeah, I guess it was because I was in college, I guess. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it was. So the rooftop Koreans, these were the folks who got up on the rooftops of their businesses and protected their businesses. 91. 91. There you go. See? Oh, I was in high school. Okay. 91? Was I in high school? I'm getting old. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, I was. Okay. So, yes, yeah, last year of high school. So the rooftop Koreans protected their businesses. How? The presence of the weaponry acted as a deterrent. And one of the prosecutors, Binger, even said that, that it's a deterrent. Even acknowledged the deterrent uh, deterrence factor of having the firearm uh, present. Krauss's most ridiculous argument. Take a, yeah, take a listen. Clearly, if there is provocation, he's guilty. But even outside of provocation. Okay, outside of provocation. 
why do you get to immediately just start shooting? As Mr. Binger said, he brought a gun to a fist fight. And he was too cowardly to use his own fist to fight his way out. He has to start shooting. Wait a minute. He brought a gun to a fist fight? No, you moron. He brought a gun to a riot. You idiot. What? <laughs> he brought a gun to... No, no. Rosenbaum brought fists to a gunfight. That's the way that happened. Oh, my goodness. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder that after the 2.30 news, we'll be chatting with the Speaker of the North Carolina House, Tim Moore. Governor announcing today that the budget, uh, that he would sign the budget. So we'll talk about that. Pat, welcome to the program. Hello, Pat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Uh, I was just going to say that basically everybody talks about Rittenhouse coming, bringing a fight. Yeah. Uh, a gun to a fight, and really, he brought a gun to a fight with a child molester. Uh, well, yes, the Rosenbaum was a convicted uh, child molester from what I think Arizona from the early two thousands or something like that. The guy, look, Rosenbaum's life story is a tragic life story. I mean, the guy was. Uh, raped by his stepfather for years as a child. Uh, he got kicked out of the house, uh, went on to molest other kids, went to prison as a teenager, mentally ill and disturbed and suicidal. And yeah, I mean, just uh, just an awful life that the guy had. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, um, I, I think probably a lot of kids lost a fight with him. Probably so. That you, but, but you... So you're saying that Rittenhouse was justified in shooting him just because of that? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't. I, he, I'm sure he didn't know that. No, he didn't. No, of course not. How could he? Right. He he had no idea who he was fighting with, and you know, I guess if anybody would, you know, they would probably feel justified a little bit. But you know. No. Well, and the other thing, like uh, uh, Grosskreutz, that guy whipped up on his grandma. He got arrested for beating up his grandma. So, I mean, these like the people that were at these protests were not exactly all, you know, uh, the perfect model citizen. Uh, Pat, I appreciate the call. I'm not saying everybody that was there was not, but uh, there were a lot of people that showed up in order to behave badly because that's what the riots gave cover for, right? These demonstrations gave cover for bad actors to engage in bad activities. Because that's what bad actors do. That's what criminals do, right? Criminals take opportunities in order to engage in criminal activity. Mike, welcome to the show. Mike, what's going on? Hey, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my take on this is that Binger did not want this case. And maybe he was pressured against mm. his will to try this case because of all the things that you've already said. Mm -hmm. And then he went on and prosecuted more or less for the defense. And so many places he undercut his own arguments. And maybe he's more of a genius than a wacko left. <laughs> That's what I start to think. I don't know what his politics on any of this. Um, uh, I don't know what his politics are, but it's, he's not the process. He's not the elected DA. He's an assistant DA. So, there are other people like if you are able to sniff this out, I got to believe his lawyer boss and colleagues would, too, though. Right. Like, wouldn't like wouldn't he run the risk of getting in trouble with his boss if his boss was like, we're totally prosecuting this case and I'm assigning it to you. 
And then he can't just throw it without it, you know. I mean, if he's throwing it, obviously, I think they would know, right? It's been obvious to me that he's not, either he's an illegitimate person as a prosecutor because he did not do a good job at all, or he did exactly what he wanted to, and that was to bolster the defense because yeah. he believed in Rittenhouse's actions over the idea that he was a, a maniac shooter, active shooter. So, uh, well, and keep in mind, they shifted to this active shooter narrative in the trial because the evidence that they had did not support their initial claims. That's why they shifted towards this uh, this narrative. But always keep in mind something, and I try to uh, point this out in, in the legal community, but also in the medical field as well, which is, you know what they call the person who graduates last in their class of law school? <laughs> A lawyer. Right, exactly. They call him a lawyer. Yeah. So, you. yeah, all right, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for the call. Uh, no, it, it, that's a fair hypothesis, I think, Mike has presented. it's That, that could be the case, right? When, when staring in the face of such, uh, such abject incompetence, one has to assess the possibility, maybe it's intentional, <laughs> right? You have to. You got to keep it in mind. It's very possible that... He's throwing it on purpose. He didn't want the case. That's possible. Now, here's another thing to keep in mind. There is a real threat that you could be targeted. Right? That maybe the DA, maybe the judges, maybe the jury. Right? There there is concern for their safety. You've got people making threats on social media that they're going to uh, riot if Rittenhouse is acquitted. So the jury probably is, if they're not directly aware of the threats, they are probably aware that that's likely, right? Um, One of the, oh yeah, here it is. Governor Tony Evers says 500 National Guard members would be prepared for duty in Kenosha if local law enforcement requested them. Why? Why would you need National Guard's uh, men and women to to be on the ready. Why ever would you be calling them up? There's no racial component to this trial. Oh, are you suggesting that maybe, I don't know, criminals might seize the opportunity? They might pounce, you could say. You might say they pounce. Right? They seize on the opportunity in order to engage in criminal activity. Right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Joining me now is the Speaker of the North Carolina House, Tim Moore. Good Mr. Afternoon. Speaker, how Good are you? you? Oh, thank you for making time. We appreciate it, as always. And, uh, wow, quite the announcement today. The governor going to sign one of y'all's budgets. This is the first time in his entire uh, gubernatorial career. You know it is, and I think it's a testament to just exactly how great this budget is. Um, it's, uh, I'll tell you, it's... it's, it's um, it's it's taken a while. You know, we normally are out of session by the end of July, or excuse me, end of June or beginning of July. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're still here in November. And it took a while just to kind of get get folks to where we needed to be. But uh, it's a budget that is uh, very similar to the original House budget that passed. Um, and it, it but it does a lot of great things. It lowers taxes significantly. You know, it cut it raises what we call our zero tax bracket to twenty five thousand five hundred. 
Uh, you, any income earned below that amount is tax-free, reduces the personal income tax from five and a quarter to 3.99, uh, puts in place the, uh, the, the Paycheck Protection Program loan uh, uh, tax forgiveness. And get this, this is huge. It eliminates the state income tax on military pensions. Um, does that, cuts taxes, and then takes this money that we have and invest it in things that we need to spend it on. Roads, bridges, water and sewer, broadband, uh, education. I mean, it's, it is a, it really is. Nothing's ever perfect, but I'm going to tell you, this is the best budget that I've ever seen in uh, 19 years of being in the state legislature. Now, I noticed when the governor made his announcement that he said he was confident that the Senate uh, would sustain his veto. But he left out the House, which kind of squares with what you told us, I think, a week or so ago, that you were pretty confident you had the votes to override a veto in the House. I, I, I think I said I was 100% certain. I believe I that was the number, veto. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and and I can guarantee you we absolutely had the votes to override a veto. And, and actually, the uh, Senate does as well. Uh, they, they have the votes, too. And so, you know, regardless of, of, of what calculus, I'm just glad the governor's on board at this point uh, to uh, to sign the budget because at the end of the day, you know, we're not, I'm not interested in spiking the ball or anything like that. Look, uh, this is a good budget for all of North Carolina. And in the meetings that, that we were having with the governor uh, for the weeks leading up to this, uh, I was making that point uh, all the way. And, of course, the sticking point was the governor really wanted us to expand Medicaid I just made it very clear that our caucus uh, was not going to support that. And I think that folks thought that we might fold if they were to put pressure on us, but we didn't. Uh, we held firm. We did put a lot of money, though, into health care as well as access to health care, which is absolutely a critical issue. But just a blanket expansion of Medicaid without some kind of work requirement and some other safeguards just did not seem to be the appropriate policy to, to, to embark on. And so... Uh, we were able to get a budget done that uh, does not expand Medicaid. But, but I, I do want to point out two things that the budget does that uh, I know conservatives are very happy about. One is is it restricts the governor's executive powers like we've been dealing with for this uh, what, year and a half yep. under COVID to put in some back checks and balances by the council state and by the legislature. And secondly, it prevents these collusive settlements uh, like what Josh Stein tried to do with the Mark Elias group. So it, it bans those. So it takes care of two big issues. Uh, it cuts taxes. It provides critical funding out there. I'm telling you, it's a great day. It's so, a great day. And on the EMA fix, the Emergency Management Act fix uh, first, and, and I think we've discussed this before in the past, and I, I think I asked you at one point early on, like, why put policy in the budget if it's just going to give the governor a reason to veto it? Um, but it sounded like today during his press conference that he's – hinting that he's just going to go to court to try to get this thing, um, uh, I guess, repealed or changed back or something. But And as I understand it, that the fix doesn't even take effect until after he's out of office, right? No, it takes effect while he's in office, but it, it, because his term would not run out till the end of 2023. Right, okay. But, uh, the, 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 yeah, so it goes into effect at January 1 of 23. So it gotcha. gives a full year to go through it. But, uh you know, I think it's uh, – look, I don't know why the governor and some of these other folks want to keep suing over everything. I would I would say – I joked one day that he's filed more lawsuits as governor than he did as attorney general. But uh, I think it's – I got it. There you go. 
but there's actually it's actually true. It um, is true. <laughs> it's it is. It's, I, I just wish the lawsuits would stop. You know, it's it's there's no sense in it. It's a waste of tax dollars. Uh, this is a budget that is going to pass overwhelmingly in the House. I think it passed what forty to eight in the Senate. So. I would predict a very, very strong vote in the House tomorrow and Thursday when we do it. And you know, there's, so we don't need to be worried about lawsuits and stuff like that. This is a time, put aside the politics, everybody come together because this is a great opportunity for North Carolina. But this will let them, this allows them to, the, the, the purpose of the lawsuits, and I'm sure you're aware of this, right? It's, it's to fundraise off of. They can keep their base agitated with the lawsuits and keep the fundraising going. You know, that may be a part of it, but, uh, you know what I think? I think, Pete, the best way, if you want to appeal to the, appeal to the people, whether it's for fundraising, whether it's for votes, is just get out there and have the fight for the ideas. Why go to court and do that? I mean, let the court of public opinion decide. Let the people decide. And you know what the people did? The people voted for, uh, the majorities in the legislature, not just Republican majorities, but also voted for, enough Democrats who were who, who could work across the aisle with us as well to get a budget done. And it's it, it's time to put down the partisanship. It's time to put down and stop the lawsuits and move on to try to implement this budget to make it the best we can because there are so many opportunities here. I mean, just I mean, look at the funds that are going into, into public education, the most in the history of the state. Look at the funds that are going to build new schools. Uh, construction on our university campuses, on our community colleges, to build roads, to improve our ports. I mean, this is this is a, a transformative budget in so many ways. And if you look at what you know, what 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 these these clowns in D.C. are doing right now, where they just you know waste money and overtax and all this stuff, we're a good comparison of how it should be done and uh, and and how government actually can work. So you mentioned uh, education here. So um, I know people are, are generally curious, especially with the Leandro uh, case. How does this budget stack up to the Leandro demand and that judge in uh, at a Union County and his demand that you fund uh, education at a certain level? How, where, where does this budget stack up against that? Uh, this budget actually fully funds uh, so many needs, even things that aren't contemplated in Leandra. I mean, this budget funds at a record amount, you know, pre-K, which we know is critical to get to those youngest students. Uh, we put more in terms of uh, enhancing teacher pay in these areas that, that are the most challenged, where there's difficulties in recruiting and in um, uh, and retaining teachers. We know, we know that, that, that our poorest counties, our low-wealth counties, there are issues there. This budget addresses it effectively. And you know what, Pete? It does it through collaboration, through stakeholders in this state, uh, elected officials, not from some, you know, uh, think pad, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, whatever group out of California that's going to try to come in and tell North Carolina how to fund education. The judge has no business trying to order the treasurer or the, or the controller issue those funds. We don't think he has the constitutional authority to do so. Uh, and, and just as this budget shows, the General Assembly is fully equipped, fully committed, and constitutionally empowered to fund education. And that's what this budget does. And I think at the end of the day, while the governor may not have liked a few things with it, he recognizes this is a good budget. And I appreciate him signing it. And so does the governor signing the budget and this agreement, does this, I don't want to say, like, does this get us off 
the is this like an off ramp for the constitutional crisis between the legislature and the judiciary over Leandro? Do you think that this may placate the judge? Well, it's cert- I would you know I don't know because I haven't uh, yeah. I haven't spoken with the judge about it, so I don't know how the judge looks at it. But I think anybody with a reasonable mind that that looks and assesses the facts has to recognize this addresses those issues. This addresses the things that have been raised in the Leandro litigation. And so I think that, you know, courts usually will try to find the least uh, controversial way to resolve an issue. And I certainly think the court could look at this budget and say, hey, uh, the General Assembly has funded uh, a big part of what's being asked for here and, and you know, and would give them an opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to kind of, you know, pump the brakes and back off of it. I think it's a good idea. Because I'm telling you, if, if at the end of the day, um, this was not something that just, you know, we didn't just, we didn't hire some outside experts or some out-of-state group to do this. This was a result of working with local school districts, working with uh, educators from around the state, working with parents, which, by the way, I think parents have a major role in the education for their children. Putting all of that together and coming up with a very responsible way to address education funding. So it's an opera, it, it's it's a great fix. Ford ought to embrace it, uh, and and this is an opportunity. Everybody ought to take the win. Yeah, uh, Speaker of the House Tim Moore, thanks for your time today. As always, sir, we appreciate it. Hey, great to be with you as always. Take All right, care. take care. Uh, and uh, now we go over to traffic with Boomer Von Cannon. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This is uh, a ridiculous story. So, all right, check this out. Uh, Papa John's. Papa John's. Ryan's already laughing. This story is cracking him up like nothing I've ever seen. Papa John's is rebranding. You ready for this? Its new name shall be Papa John's. I'm not kidding. They're rebranding as Papa John's. The difference is there's no apostrophe. That's the rebrand. Which makes sense if you don't want to have to, you know, redo all the website URLs and stuff and try to name a new pizzeria. Right? Like, what would you name it? Like, And, and what web address is going to be available and my gosh, then what do you do with the Papa John's website and all that, you know? Yeah, it's got a brand new look. Papa John's Pizza releasing a new logo and renderings of the plan changes to its restaurants this morning. It is the latest step as the company works to distance itself from former, uh, from the founder and former CEO John Schnatter. Schnatter, is that his name? Schnatter? Schnatter, how do you pronounce that? I don't know. I don't know why Ryan. Why is this story so hilarious to you? It's it, just, it's just so stupid. It is really stupid. <laughs> no, I thought when they said that they were going to, uh, that they were rebranding, I thought maybe they were going to go with like Schnatter's Pizza, <laughs> you know, something like that. But no, they didn't go that direction. <laughs> 
the company has dropped the apostrophe. So now instead of Papa John's, it's Papa John's. <laughs> Which, those are toilets, guys. Toilets, John's, toilet, or pimps, right? Or not pimps. No, John's, they're the clients. Yeah. So prostitutes, clients, those are the Johns, right? Isn't that what they're called, Johns? Right, the pimps are pimps, and then the, yeah. Pimps are pimps, and the Johns are the Johns. Okay, right, so you're either the client of the prostitute or you're a toilet, and that's that's the, I don't know which one's better, Papa Johns or Papa Johns. And either one of them make me scream like, ah, I got to get some pizza. Rendering show more open floor plans for its restaurants and a self-service pickup counter for customers to take home their orders without waiting in line. Companies also released a new logo. That'll do it. Though it appears to be sticking with its longtime slogan of better ingredients, better pizza. So it's keeping its logo. (laughs) It's going to keep the name. It's just removing the apostrophe. And they're going to redo their stores. They're going to roll it out gradually. There's no need to expect big changes to your order. Papa John's pizzas will still come with a pep, uh, a pepperoncini. Is that how you pronounce those? Pepperoncini? I don't know. The green things. The spicy things. And the garlic sauce cup, which is like a million calories a cup. Do you know that? Do you ever look at the... Do you ever pull the, the nutritional info on that thing? Oh, look at that. See? Ryan has already adopted the uh, the new branding. He's got on the call screen box here. He's got Dean, and what does Dean want to talk about? Papa John's, no apostrophe s. Hello, Dean. Welcome to the show. How are you, Dean? I don't want to talk about Papa John's. I want to talk about you. You're just a typical media person that manages to twist a name change into a thousand different scenarios. What do you mean? That's what the word means. I'm sorry for knowing the English language. It's not. It's not knowing the language. It's your interpretation. It's not. No, it's not. What is the other? Hang on a second. What is another interpretation for Papa John's without an apostrophe? What does that mean? Okay. You know, yeah, I you know it can be construed as that. No, 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 it's not a construation. There's no construing. This is simple definitions. There's no apostrophe, so it's not John's, right? It's no not his, right? It's not possessive. So what is it? It's plural. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. No. Uh huh. Boy, now. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean. Can, uh, are there any racial implications in this or anything like that? Or, oh, my gosh. Or, I hadn't even considered that. I don't, I'm not aware. I don't think so. But, I mean, because that's why they're doing this whole thing is because the guy was a racist, right? Wasn't Schnatter a racist? Said a bunch of racist uh, things. And Isn't Shaq like their new spokesperson now? Oh, is he? Did Shaq go on? Yeah, he bought into like 30, 30 franchises or something. Why couldn't you call it Papa Shaq's? What a, what a missed opportunity. Well, you know, they call the pizzas Papa, whatever they call them, Shacaronis. Shacaronis. Yeah. There you go. Is, is that uh, is that destroying the Italian, uh, you know, Why is Sh- I, I don't know. Is Schnatter a uh, particularly Italian uh, lineage there? Sh- the Schnatters from Sicily? No, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But, uh, Dean, I appreciate the call. I 
So Schnatter, look, I'm from originally, I'm from Long Island. I know an Italian last name when I am presented one. That Schnatter is not, as far as I can recall, it is not. All right, Brett Winterville's up next. Stay tuned. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.